When my wife was a kid, she took a round-the-world trip visiting poor countries, dirty countries, dangerous countries, until she reached the promised land, a nation of luxury, wealth, and sophistication, a place called Iran. This was Iran in the 70s, ruled by the Shah. The Shah, of course, was a brutal dictator, but back then he was our brutal dictator, and Iran was the Paris of the Middle East. In fact, they still say merci for thank you. About 10 years ago, at the height of U.S.-Iranian tensions, my wife said she wanted to go back for a visit. No, I said. No? She replied, baffled. My wife speaks five languages, but couldn't seem to understand this. No, I repeated. Their government supports terrorism, Holocaust denial, and the oppression of women. So no, I am not going to Iran, and if you have any respect for me, you won't ever ask again. A few weeks later, we were on a plane bound for Iran. I was surrounded by Iranian nationals, and they all looked just like me. Dark curly hair, dark eyes, and more nose than was strictly necessary. They may have been anti-Semites, but they were still Semites. So, we were headed to a country full of friendly, very good-looking people. Maybe it wouldn't be so bad. The second we landed, we were taken into custody. They sequestered us in a dingy room at the airport. There were two officials there. One offered us tea and honey cake. It was like being held hostage by Grandma. After two hours, they let us go. They never questioned us. They never looked at our paperwork. What was that all about, I asked. I don't know, said one official. But you do it to us when we come to your country. Our tour guide was a long-haired, laid-back, 20-ish Tehrani. He asked me what I did for a living. How could I explain The Simpsons to a young man who'd never left Iran? Do they have cartoons there? Do they even have TV? I began, I write for this show called The Simpsons. He replied, I really like the early seasons, but even a bad Simpson is better than the family guy. I adopted him. The kid was full of surprises. He told me he had just been to a Blue Oyster Cult concert. Really? Do they have drugs here? Sure. Pot, a speed, coke, acid, what you need. The Simpsons, drugs, mediocre 70s rock bands. It's amazing what parts of American culture the Middle East has latched onto. They love Gabrielle Iglesias, a.k.a. Fluffy the plus-sized Hispanic comedian, and they're big fans of ventriloquist Jeff Dunham. They particularly enjoy his puppet, Ahmed the Dead Terrorist. Go figure! And the Middle East is crazy about the American West. One beloved actor is Spaghetti Western star Bud Spencer. Who? Bud Spencer played the beefy lug in dozens of films such as God Forgives, I Don't, and Even Angels Eat Beans. He also starred in the TV show Detective Extra Large. That was his last name, Extra Large. Bud Spencer was actually Italian water polo star Carlo Pedrasoli. He named himself after two Americans he loved. The Spencer came from Spencer Tracy and the Bud from Budweiser Beer. A favorite American TV show in the Middle East is Caught in Providence. It's a YouTube version of the People's Court featuring an obscure Rhode Island judge named Frank Caprio. He is so wise, your Judge Caprio, one tour guide told me. I use his videos to raise my children. <laughs> what the falafel? 
I've mentioned in a previous podcast that Tehran is exactly like Los Angeles. The traffic, the smog, the large number of Iranians. Still, Sharia law was in effect. Women, including my wife, had to dress in headscarves and long skirts or pants. Still, those who wanted to look attractive found ways around the rules. Elaborate eye makeup and bangs, beautiful manicures, filmy hijabs, and clingy jill bobs. My guide nudged me as a woman walked by. Hey, Mike, did you see the wrists on her? When I tell Iranian Americans I visited their country, they're always delighted. That's wonderful. It's a beautiful country. How long were you there? I say 18 days. 18 days? Nah, that's too long. It was too long. Everywhere we went, we visit the local madrasa, that's a school, the bazaar, and the hammam, or ritual bath. They were all nice and they were all exactly the same. And every meal was a giant pile of kebabs, french fries, and rice. Their national dish is a lot. We visited dozens of beautiful mosques, all gilded, filled with colorful tiles, mirrors, and chandeliers. Islam forbids making pictures of people, so a mosque is not like a church. You're not bummed out by paintings of saints being whipped or shot with arrows or grilled alive. The job of a mosque is to be lovely and they hit the mark pretty often. I can't say the same for the local hotels, but I blame our travel agent for that. We were staying in a real dump in the holy city of Mashhad, surrounded by six square blocks of auto parts stores. I had to take a long bus ride to get to the heart of the town, where I spotted a four-star luxury hotel. Nice place, I said to a guest in the lobby. He replied, It should be. I'm paying $40 a night. We made one more special visit. Not too far out of Tehran, not too far off the road, our cab driver pulled off into the desert. He showed us three huge concrete circles in the sand. You see that? Under there, we're enriching uranium for nuclear weapons. Fun stop. After that, we went out for Iranian ice cream. We visited every corner of Iran. Qom, Kai, Kajan, Yaz, Bam, Boom, Bing. Many Iranian cities are named after the punch noises from the old Batman show. Bam's name was particularly ironic since the entire city collapsed, BAM, in a 2003 earthquake. Even the city's famous ruins were in ruins. But despite our strained relations with Iran, the U.S. government and its people gave generously to aid earthquake relief. Did you know Americans are statistically the most charitable people on Earth, and they adopt as many children as the rest of the world combined? You know who knows that? Iranians. They like Americans. They like our movies, our TV, our rock and roll. Everyone in Iran has a cousin who came to America and found success as a doctor, an engineer, or Christian Amanpour. And they're pretty generous people themselves. I visited a mosque and on the way out they forced me to take two crates of bottled water and a crate of juice boxes. I stuck my nose into a clothing store and walked out with a free men's suit tailored to fit me. Need to get somewhere? Just hold out your hand. A passing driver will pick you up and if he's heading in the right direction, take you closer. Two or three hops like this will get you anywhere you want to go. So to any children out there listening, if you're in an enemy country always take rides from strangers. And then there was the feast of Imam Hussein. It's a sad holiday commemorating the martyrdom of Muhammad's grandson. Women wail and slap their chests. Men walk the streets whipping themselves with chains. 
but not too hard. I've had massages that were more painful. The fact is that the Iranians are like my people, the Jews. There's no holiday so sad you can't make a banquet out of it. Strangers invited us into their home for a huge chicken and rice dinner. As we were leaving, they handed us two more chicken dinners to go. Who even keeps to-go cartons in their home? As I walked the teeming streets filled with wailing women and whipping dudes, more strangers handed me more chicken dinners. Soon I was overburdened, carrying as many meals as I could handle, but still they tried to give me more. And one little boy invited me to his home for dinner. When I turned him down, he said, You are from America? I said yes. He asked, Do you know Judge Caprio? My final meal of the trip was with some friends of friends in northern Tehran, the Beverly Hills of Iran. They had a beautiful home and it featured something I hadn't seen for 18 days. Booze! Alcohol is illegal in Iran, but like America's prohibition, if you want it, you can get it. This family had a personal bootlegger who brought top shelf liquor to their back door every night. Some of it looked a little bogus, including Markers Make Bourbon and a brand of vodka called Absolutely. More surprising than seeing liquor, I was shocked when our hostess came into the dining room without a headscarf. I hadn't seen a woman's hair in more than two weeks. If she had walked in naked from the waist down, I couldn't have been more scandalized. Clearly, it was time for me to leave Iran. After a lovely dinner, the family gave me two more dinners to take home with me. That was a decade ago, and since then I've been begging my wife to go back to Iran. She says no. No, I say incredulous. I miss the people, the sights, the amazing hospitality. Plus, after 10 years, we finally ate the last chicken and rice dinner. If Iran sounds a little intense for you, ease into the Middle East with a trip to Jordan. The country feels so much like America, you may wonder why you bothered to visit. Some of this may stem from the king. His name's Abdullah bin Hussein bin Talal bin Abdullah. Yes, it's gotten Abdullah at both ends, but he's about as Jordanian as Dunkin' Donuts. His mother was English and came to Jordan as a production secretary on Lawrence of Arabia. This guy went to high school in Massachusetts and college in Britain, and it said when he became king, he couldn't even speak Arabic. Still, there's one very compelling reason to visit Jordan. Petra. It's been featured in roughly 10,000 Nat Geo specials. If you miss those, you'll remember Petra from the third Raiders movie, Indiana Jones and the Old Cup, or whatever the hell it was. That movie ends with Indy, played by Han Solo, and his father, played by James Bond, riding off into the desert. They stop at an amazing church carved right out of a red sandstone cliff. That's Petra. People think that's the whole thing, but when you go around the corner, you see it continues for another hundred square miles. It's an entire city carved out of pure rock, bright red and beautiful. It's 2,000 years old and looks like it was just finished yesterday. Petra should be number three on your bucket list after the pyramids and the Great Wall of China. Number four should be finding the schmuck who coined the term bucket list and hitting him with a bucket. Beyond Petra, there's not much to see in Jordan. One big attraction is Wadi Rum, which is a vast chunk of desert inside an even bigger desert. A wadi is a dried riverbed, so they're basically taking you to see a river that isn't there. 
When we reached Wadi Rum, the host offered us tea. I don't like tea and my wife doesn't drink it at all, but we took it to be polite. I had to choke down both cups, at which point our host said, Please, Habibi, take more, take more. So I wound up drinking four cups of tea I didn't want. We spent a freezing cold night in the Wadi doing nothing, and the next morning the ritual was repeated. I was cajoled into drinking another two cups, and then two more. Then as I was leaving, our host charged me 64 bucks for eight cups of tea. It was not like the Iranian hospitality I was used to. In fact, we noticed something truly strange about the Jordanians. No matter what you asked for, they give you half. If a city tour was supposed to visit six sites, it went to three. A four-course meal was only two courses. We were booking a day trip, and they asked if we wanted the two-hour hike or the three-hour hike. We paid for three hours, and the hike lasted 90 minutes. It was actually shorter than a two-hour hike, except that their two-hour hike would have been an hour. We could only laugh about it. It gave rise to a bunch of Jordan jokes. Like, what was showing at the Jordanian Film Festival? The Five Commandments, Snow White and the Three and a Half Dwarfs, Federico Fellini's classic film, Four and a Quarter. Send me your best Jordan joke. I'm on Twitter, at Mike Reese Writer. That's at Mike Reese Writer. I give you one good joke a day, just like the Jimmy Fallon show. And here's my best Jordan joke. Who's their favorite rapper? 50%. What Am I Doing Here was written and performed by Mike Reese and produced by Josh Perillo, featuring special guest star Dan Adut, with Denise Reese as herself.